morning, everyone. This morning we are in Matthew 22. It is good to take a look at the fact that, you know, Matthew, he wrote primarily a Jewish gospel, meaning he is writing to convince the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. His his book focuses more on that than any other book. Uh, in fact, it's not even close. Um, you know, the John, the Gospel of John, has much more of a uh, new covenant gospel emphasis of believing in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Um, in fact, he doesn't even talk about like eschatology much. Not 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 at all, but not much. John, that is. And Matthew, his book is continually showing the debates and arguments with the Pharisees and the Sadducees with Jesus and and Jesus showing them that he is the fulfillment of their of their Messiah and that he's one day is going to come back as a conquering king. And what we're starting to have in chapter 21, now 22, 23, 24, is Matthew recording Jesus' teaching to the Jews largely on who he is, trying to convince the Jews to trust in Jesus as the Messiah. Now, we always have to take a look at when we bust into this chapter, who's the audience? So back at the end of Matthew 21, let's just pick it up in verse 45, two verses. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. So again, chapter 21 was largely the same emphasis. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So that was a, the concern that they had is that, hey, he might get support among the people. But listen to verse chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again. Again, so the audience here is the chief priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, okay? Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So he's giving them a parable, and he's talking about a wedding feast. Now, I want to say to you, and you know, I feel like I'm going to be saying this a lot, but and I don't want to overdo it, but when we start <clears throat> talking about prophetic things, for the future, we have to have some humility and grace because we're not there yet. It's so e much easier to see a fulfillment after it happens and then point back to the Bible verses that say, oh yeah, look, well here it was. But when we <clears throat> are not on the other side of that yet, we're trying to predict or foresee from an Old Testament parable or prophecy what we think that fulfillment will be, we're not going to be 100% accurate. <clears throat> we're definitely going to have some uncertainty or we're going to even be wrong at times until it actually takes place. So, Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who has a wedding feast for his son. Now, I believe there's going to be a a celebration, a feast in heaven that's going to take place when Jesus comes and raptures his church and all who believe, and that Jews who have not embraced the Messiah 
are going to miss out on that celebration in heaven. Uh, could that be what Jesus is referring to here? It could be. Again, we'll know better after the events happen. But listen to this. He sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And I think what that is is now is Jesus and the apostles are sending forth people to present the gospel and have people discover Jesus now so that they're ready when he comes. And again, he sent out other slaves. Well, people were unwilling to come. He sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling. So some people reject the gospel message today and then are going to miss out on what is to come. And largely what he's referring to, Matthew, that is, and Jesus in this audience, that's or Jesus, that's his parable, is that the Jews who do not embrace the Messiah are going to miss out. That's what's being said here. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fattened livestock, all are butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. And you could look at this as, you know, there's been a prophet after prophet in the Old Testament who's been sent forth. And a lot of times the Jewish people didn't like to hear their message to repent. You could also look at it moving forward of all the people that have been sent forth since the days of Christ going out and proclaiming the gospel and people still reject the message today. I mean, one of my great sadnesses is having, you know, friends, high school friends, old friends, and they just, life goes on and they don't ever seem to really want to contemplate Jesus Christ and becoming born again in him through faith. And it's sad because, you know, I'm, I'm getting older. I'm starting to have, in fact, in the last month, I've had two friends who have had either strokes or heart attacks. Uh, seems kind of young, right? People in their 50s. But it's starting to happen more as I grow older. And it's like, I want people to be ready, you know? And uh, I want people to place their faith in Jesus. So. Again, I sent out other slaves saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his own business. And they seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. And I believe he's indicating, hey, this is the kind of stuff you guys did in the past and that you did not you did not listen to the prophets. You didn't want to hear what they had to say. All right. But the king was enraged and sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Now, that's really interesting. You know, the place of Jewish sacrifice was in Jerusalem. And the Temple Mount was there. The Temple was there in Jesus' day. And that's where the sacrifices took place. But after Jesus died and rose again, if you believed in Christianity, you would have no longer need for the sacrificial system. Or even the Temple. Because Jesus said now the Temple is believers in Him, and He comes to live inside of those who believe in Him through the power of His Holy Spirit. 
So he's not in man-made temples anymore. And because Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he was the final sacrifice, the sacrificial system is no longer needed anymore either. So essentially Judaism is no longer needed anymore as it was practiced in the Old Testament because Jesus fulfilled the law and now, you know, the gospel is through him and not, you know, it's, it, following God's not no longer through the Old Testament law. And, you know, Jesus is speaking this in about 33 AD. That's, you know, what I believe. And I don't know if you're aware, but the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Now, Jesus didn't destroy it. The Roman Empire destroyed it. And, you know, the temple's never been rebuilt. And it says, but the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murders and set their city on fire. It's just kind of interesting. I'm not saying that for sure Jesus was pointing to that moment in this passage, but it, you know, it could be very well that God allowed for the destruction of Jerusalem because he doesn't need those sacrifices anymore. And even the Jewish people after that event made the decision that we no longer have to sacrifice according to the old covenant anymore because our temple is destroyed. And it would make sense that Jesus would allow that to happen because the sacrifices are no longer needed. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Now, <clears throat> to the Jews who didn't, they should have seen that Jesus was going to be a light to the Gentiles because it was talked about in their Old Testament. And it was it was long prophesied that uh, that this message would be taken to the nations, but the Jewish people of Jesus's day didn't look at it like that, even though their Old Testament said so. Instead, they separated themselves from Gentiles, looked at Gentiles as dogs, and they thought of themselves as special part of God's special family, but others not. And I believe that this word here is an attack against them. Because he says, go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding. Meaning Jews, Gentiles, anybody who's willing to come, invite them. And the Pharisees would have looked at that as gross. We don't even want to be at a meal with Gentiles. So those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found. Now, we're, we're going to everyone, right? Jesus came to heal the sick, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. So, uh... This could be looked at, you know, everyone is going to be invited. And, and, you know, everyone, you know, the gospel is going forth into the whole world. And the question is, is will you accept Jesus as your Lamb of God who takes away your sin and ushers you into his heavenly kingdom one day when he returns? And essentially you get to enter now through faith in him as you live this life with the promise of eternal life. So the message goes out to the world, but not everyone accepts it. And that's what we're going to see here. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to them, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? Now, you know, there's a lot of theories about what this means. I'm not going to get into all of them, but it, it says in the New Testament that we're going to be clothed with righteousness. We're going to be clothed with the clothes of righteousness. When we come to faith in Jesus, it's as though we take on his clothes. We get a wedding garment from him 
by believing in him. And that, that wedding garment is the fact that he's forgiven us of our sin. Because you can't make it into the heavenly banquet without being forgiven of your sin. Because your sin is in the way, our sin is in the way of going to heaven. But when we believe in Jesus, we're made righteousness. We've been clothed with righteousness from on high because of the fact that we've now been forgiven our sin. So apparently this guy was invited and came but hadn't really accepted Jesus. Now, as we talked about before, this is kind of like a forewarning of what's going to happen in the future. It, it, the gospel's not fully unleashed yet because Jesus has not yet died on the cross. We're in the last week of his life. But Matthew tends to not write as though he hints towards the gospel era coming, but he doesn't share it in fullness, unlike John, who who speaks of it differently than, than Matthew does. Uh, in fact, and, and John doesn't even speak much about the problems with the Jews as much as Matthew does. And he doesn't speak a lot about end times. Uh, this is really Jewish focus here. So he said, friend, how did you come in here without your wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place where they'll be weeping and gnashing their teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And this man didn't, in my view, accept Jesus Christ, did not have the clothes of righteousness, and is not going to be allowed into the heavenly banquet. Uh, and, and there is hell for those who do not believe in Jesus. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted together on how they might trap him in what he said. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God and truth and defer to no one. So they're coming with all these compliments but they're still trying to trap him. And for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? And the Jews didn't you know, like the Roman Empire, but yet taxes were part of the world. But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. You know, and perhaps they wanted to catch him by saying, Oh, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar. And then they'd, they'd probably go and tell the Romans, Hey, he said that we shouldn't pay taxes, you know. But Jesus is saying, You know what? It, that's the government that's in charge, pay taxes. That's what's, you know, what's what your duty is as a citizen. And, you know, I think there's something to be said there. You know, a lot of times we might not be happy with our government, but we're still part of this society and we still got to pay taxes. And, you know, Jesus demonstrated this on more than one occasion. And, you know, Christians, dear church, we shouldn't cheat on our taxes. We should, we should be, honorable. Now listen, now you don't have to pay more than what you owe. Uh, so you can legally, you know, like do your best to be wise with how you're going to pay your taxes, but we should tell the truth and only but the truth. So help us God. 
but he, you know, sometimes in Jesus's answer, it's like they just walked away because they, they, he just had such wisdom. <clears throat> That's what happened here. On that day, some Sadducees, now this is a different Jewish sect that didn't believe in a resurrection. And there were other things that they didn't believe. We'll see as we go here. And they came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. And they, they give him a situation here, kind of a complicated situation. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died having no children, left his wife to his second brother. So also the second and third down to the seventh, they all died. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all married her. And they're trying to say, well, the resurrection's stupid because who who's going to be her husband in the resurrection? She had seven. It's just kind of a silly thing happening here. But Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. And he really came on strong with these uh, Sadducees because he felt their beliefs were wrong for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven but regarding the resurrection of the dead have you not read what was spoken to you by God I am the God of Abraham the God of Jacob the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob he is not the God of the dead but of the living when the crowds heard this they were astonished at his teaching. And they followed Moses strongly, the Sadducees. And Jesus is using a phrase, the I am, to kind of trump their belief and their overemphasis on Moses' teaching. And it's just interesting, if you dig into this a little bit more, uh, you'll see that Jesus's words were really wise in how he he showed them the error in their way of thinking. And that's why the crowds were really amazed because they could pick up on what Jesus was saying when he said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Father, and he's not the God of the dead, but the living. <clears throat> this this went against the the Moses authority that they overemphasized. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, so they didn't get along, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And, and Jesus, you know, it's interesting, I guess, knowing the gospel that's about to come, knowing that now the way to heaven is going to be through him and believing in him, and yet that day is not fully there, he boils down the Old Testament to say, love God and love your neighbor. And and that that's that the two those two commandments uh, depend the whole law and the prophets. He kind of boils it down that those are going to be the two things moving forward that really matter. Once you believe in me, what I want you to do is love me. 
with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor and believe in me. Now, we're not quite yet to that point of believing in him after his resurrection, but he's going to sum up the Old Testament importance largely in that way. Now, while the Pharisees were to gather together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. So now Jesus is asking them a question. And they said to him, the son of David. Now, that's true. Jesus came from the family line of David. But they're also not looking at Jesus as the Messiah and indeed as God. You know, Jesus is Emmanuel. He is with God with us. So they're looking at, well, he's the son of David. And, and, And he said to them, Jesus, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Now, he's quoting an Old Testament prophecy from Psalm 110, and he's saying that this son of David is going to be Lord, and 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 you're going to sit at his feet. You know, so he's saying, yes, that's great that you know that the Messiah is going to come from the son of David, but when you understand who Jesus is and when he rises from the dead, you need to put your faith in him as Lord, not just the son of David. David, Jesus said that if David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. And again, they're not going to completely understand this right now, that Jesus is Lord. That's basically what he's saying. Yes, I'm the son of David, but I'm the Lord. And 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 some are going to get it. You know, church, a lot of people have, Jewish people have come to Jesus. It's a very small denomination today compared to what it was in that day. And there's good reason that there's not as many Jews left in the world because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He is the Lamb of God. And when you place your faith in Him, we learn and we see what God has done all throughout the Old Testament. And we see that it points to Jesus, the suffering servant who had victory over death. So. That's what he's beginning to point out to them, that this son of David, Jesus, is Lord. And praise God, many are going to see that. And on Pentecost, you know, when Peter gets up and shares the gospel with so many Jews, thousands of of them come to faith in Jesus, which is awesome. But here he's showing the problems with the people who reject him. And we're going to have a couple of chapters where this conversation regarding the Jews and their problems with him now, and as a result, what's going to happen to them in the future is going to be uh, you know, what is pronounced and uh, elevated and talked about as we keep going. So uh, God bless you all as we continue this journey of faith.